Section 13 of Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B. P. Schillibert. Section 13. A coach containing a young man and woman with one trunk on behind, behind the coach is meant, is pleasingly suggestive of matrimony. Yes, said old Roger sardonically, but a half a dozen young ones and seven handboxes are much more suggestive. There's no mistaken signs like those. Mrs. Partington on tobacco. I know that tobacco is very dilatorious said Mrs. Partington, as Mr. Trask sat conversing with her upon the body and soul, destroying nature of the weed. I know that tobacco is dilatorious, especially to a white floor. And taking out her snuff-box, the broad one with the picture of Napoleon on the color, she tapped it and offered a pinch to her guest. Snuff is just as bad, said he, laying his finger gently on her arm and speaking earnestly. Snuff injures the intellect, affects the nerves, destroys the memory. It is tobacco in its most subtle form, and the poison appears as the devil did in Eden, under a pleasing exterior. She gazed upon him a moment in silence. I know, said she, it has a tenderness to the head, but I couldn't do without it. It is so auxiliating to me when I'm down to the hill, and if it is a pism, as you call it, I should have been killed by it forty years ago. Good stuff. Like good tea is a great blessing, and I don't see how folks who have no amusement can get along without it. The box was dropped back to its receptacle, and her friend took his leave, sighing that she would persist in shortening her days by the use of snuff, and stopped a moment to lecture Ike, who was enjoying a sugar cigar upon the front doorstep. Guitar in the head. Mrs. Partington's neighbor, Mrs. Sled, complained one morning of a ringing in her ears. It must be owing to the guitar in your head, dear, said the old lady. She knew every sort of human ailment, and like the downcast doctor, was death on fits. "'I know what that ringing in the ears is,' continued she, "'for my ears used to ring so bad sometimes as to wake Paul out of his sleep thinking it was a lime of fire.' There was no doubt she was telling what was true, but there were some that questioned it in a gentle cough. "'We haven't a doubt in its truth.' "'A singular fact.' "'Them were our very fat critters.' remarked Mrs. Partington, as she stood viewing a yoke of splendid steers. "'Yes, m'am,' replied the farmer. "'And would you believe it, mum? They were fattened on nothing but oat straw, and it hadn't been threshed neither.' "'Yet outside,' said she for a moment, doubt of the probability of the story occupied her mind. It was but for a moment. "'Well, I never,' continued she, and turned aside to admire the beauties of a new cider-press. "'I hid at the times.' "'Bred by staying power,' screamed mrs partington as she heard isaac commence a paragraph about making bread by steam she laid down her work placed her hands upon her lap and looked broadly at the boy through her specs bread by steam said she what will the world do next i wonder if this is one of the labor-saving inventions now but i see what it will end is people are fast enough already in all consciousness but what will they do when they come to be bred by steam power if they act according to their bringing up ah isaac people may be faster now but they are no better than they used to be isaac explained that it was a new mode of making bread she looked at him steadily for a moment when taking a thumb and finger full she put the cover on the box resuming her knitting and told isaac to go on which he did the poor printer 
the poor printer poor in purse we mean reduced to penury and rags and asking alms about the printing offices is a melancholy sight there is enough in one such spectacle to give any man the double-breasted horrors for a whole day there is a most woe-begone miserable hopelessness in him as he asked your aid in the name of his profession of printing the noble art that he perhaps may have honoured in his better days bad luck or worse liquor often symptoms of the latter predominate combined with a want of self-respect have reduced him to his present condition he is no common beggar there is a something in his tone as he asks for your aid that tells plainly it is not his true vocation that he is forcing his nature into a most unnatural current and asking for assistance he has none of the same lies that appear ready framed on the lips of common beggars no volcanoes have poured their burning lavas on his head or other property no furious tornadoes have swept away his earthly hopes and homestead and driven him forth a wanderer no overwhelming tide has pursued him relentlessly in other lands to give him a fortune here but he stands before you and his appearance pleads for him he looks like a low case dusty and pied or a form picked from sorts and squabbling under the accumulation of indulged dust there is a persuasion in his seedy coat buttoned to the chin a coat in which a dim geniality struggles to overcome the poverty clouds or cobwebs that mar it there is persuasion in the hat that venerable tile whose form of three fashions past indicates certainly as an almanac the date of the declension of his golden days there is persuasion in his familiar look at things an air that says this is nothing new to me i've seen all this before there is persuasion much more in the tone of the voice that asks the gift as if it were a loan or the return of some money in your keeping from him there is no servility in his asking and his story is a direct recital of his troubles he is sick has a disorder in his head his wife is dead his hope has all fled for days haven't seen a bed nor had one mouthful of bread and is quite famished what a recital and you cry nuff seed and the quarter comes at once from your yielding purse what a comfortable reflection it is as we place the coin in his extended hand and it forces home a question of great moment drawn from a contingency that grows some think out of the nature of the art whose turn will come next and the richest of the journeymen feels more humble as he ponders on what may happen mr slow on grave topics bail mac my son said mr slow shaking his head with oracular and owl-like profundity it isn't well to know too much my boy your father never did and he knowed too much for that thoughts as perplexing in the human mind bill mac is too precious a thing to be wore out with too much friction don't abuse the gifts of nader my son cause nader's one of em she is don't investigate anything new my boy cause there's a thousand old things of more contents to look arter a first of which is number one new notions perplexes the mind dear there's four enough fools in the world who look to look arter sich things without your trouble and benefit to you call em all humbug and moonshine and them as believes in lunatics and scoundrels and that'll save you a good many discussions and give you a character for dignity and prudence and prudent folks make money philosophy and scions and them things is humbugs and everything is humbugs but money mind i tell ye mr slow ceased overcome by his own eloquence paying an old debt working out a debt is often called working a dead horse and we think not inaptly the more especially when a man is poor with a family depending upon him for support 
then a pickaxe becomes a weary thing and every shovelful of dirt weighs four times as much as when the heart of the laborer is cheered by the hope of the dollar ahead but it is well to pay one's debts though it is far better not to owe anything a piece of advice that st paul utters with great earnestness as if he were practically sensible of the disadvantage of indebtedness a man who had run up a long score at a shop for liquor cigars and other creature comforts found himself utterly unable to pay a stiver of it in vain was he urged to pay the bill and in vain was he threatened if he didn't he hadn't any money the true secret of his getting in debt in the first place and the creditor gave it up at last he thought he would compromise the matter and let the man work the debt off the creditor had a large pile of wood in his barn several cords of it nicely sawed and split and he forthwith set the debtor at work to throw the wood into the street and then pile it back again at the rate of a shilling an hour until the whole debt would be wiped out the man took hold with a will and in short time the wood was all in the street then went back with equal celerity and then out again and then in everybody wondering what it could mean some charitably intimated that he was crazy and others equally charitable said he was drunk he toiled on thus the whole day throwing the wood back and forth but every hour seemed full sixty minutes longer than its predecessor as he watched the clock on the old church in the neighbourhood he was working a dead horse and it was hard making him go but the longest road must have an end and the hour neared when the labour and debt would cease together and as the hammer of the clock told the hour of his release the freedman threw the last stick of wood into the street with a shout of triumph the shout brought the owner of the wood to the door who found his late debtor putting on his coat to go away hallo said he you're not going away without putting the wood back again are you i'll put it back again for a shilling an hour said the man the proprietor of the wood saw that he had been done but good-naturedly told his late debtor to go ahead and put it back he went about it but strange to say it took him just three times as long to put it back as it did to throw it out mrs partington having been asked what the consequences would be if an irresistible should come in contact with a movable body replied that she thought one or t'other of them would get hurt operatic rebuke i can't catch the malady said mrs partington at the opera as she stood upon tiptoe in the lobby of howard athenaeum in vain attempting to look over the heads before her she had received a ticket but it secured nothing but an outside position and she had gone wandering round like a jolly planet without any particular orbit ike was in the gallery eating a penny's worth of peanuts and throwing the shells into the parquet below i can't catch the malady of the uproar and more half the words are all dutch to me this is the first opiotic performance i ever went to and if i can't get a say i can't stand it to come again she said it very firmly as she was going down the stairs a young gentleman with curly hair reached over the banisters and blandly informed her that he could furnish her with a seat she turned her benevolent spectacles and face attached towards him and told him it was rather late after the evening had half gone to think of politeness it was a picture the young curly head bending over the banister and the spectacles and the black bonnet and the widow of corporal paul on the stairs looking up it was sublime smith and blank it gives us a mournful feeling every time the above sign on a business street meets our eye it is simply a white pine sign with the letters upon it done in black there is nothing peculiar in its construction but the blank termination with the ampersand once the connecting character of a prosperous firm maybe but now seeming to exist only with reference to some future contingency denotes separation and thus as indicating this the sign becomes an important sign of the times 
the name that formerly graced it though no longer needed there is still to be traced through the white coat spread over it as if yet asserting its claim to consideration alas poor ghost is it better to let smith have it all to himself what caused the separation did the jones whom we see dimly through the white lead which covers him like a shroud shuffle off this mortal coil and leave smith there alone like a boy tilting on one end of a plank had jones a wife and children and do they yet look up wistfully at the sign as they pass it by as if with a sort of undefined hope in their minds that jones may be in there somewhere now or do they weep as they gaze upon it at its suggestion of their own loneliness or has the widow forgotten long ago the man under the mould and another jones with another name taken his place in the domestic firm or does she yet stand like the ampersand on the sign beckoning some other jones to write his name on the blank space in her heart and begin anew it may have been a separation in strife where uncongeniality of mind temper and habits engendered bitterness and the hours flew by freighted with mutual curses upon the ill-starred union of smith and jones and separation was the result how happy were they may be at the beginning as they sat down to talk over their business schemes while hope held her candle for them as they ciphered out a path to fortune through the intricacies of trade talking as lovers talk never dreaming like lovers that the elements might exist in themselves for the destruction of their hopes and happiness we can fancy the bitter days the reproaches abuse and violence that ended in the painter's brush upon the sign and the announcement in the post of dissolution but why is that ampersand left there does smith with his bitter experience want another jones to torment him perhaps smith and jones were well-meaning men who tried the firm on and found it unable to carry double and then divided good-naturedly and are now carrying on trade each by himself and each happy in a knowledge of the good qualities of the other each ready to endorse the other's note each having for the other a cordial salutation when meeting and how are ye smith and how are ye jones sounding heartily as if they meant something more than the words usually imply and inquiring about each other's business with as much earnestness as formerly when together each referring to that time with satisfaction and speaking of my old partner smith or jones with affection and respect it is some comfort to conjure up a picture like this and regret that jones should be cut off in his goodness smith and blank we don't like to see it anyhow if smith should choose to let his name stand there forever as now he may do so if he can nobody can hinder him or will want to but smith should not allow that ampersand to remain there as if hinting at something it is afraid to say trembling upon the verge of it and holding back without venturing upon it the bond is broken that united the twain and why should mr smith offend our chaste eye by leaving that ampersand to drag along behind his name now there is no use for it like the end of a broken chain beneath a cart pull away ma'am pull away said old roger in the omnibus as he saw a heavy lady dragging vigorously at the check-string another such jerk as that and he must come through ta where asked she sharply why through the hole there to be sure you were trying to get him through it wasn't you now i wasn't i was only stopping the horses mr impudence oh said the old gentleman was that all excuse me she got out and the bus moved on a woman that one could love now there is a woman that one could love said old roger delightedly as he saw a figure arrayed in the full feather of fashion in a window in washington street 
a long life could be spent very quietly in such company no quarrelling for precedence no jealousy no strife of any kind no teasing for dress and follies till one's purse-strings ache in sympathy with aching heart-strings at unchecked extravagance even i could love such a woman as that perhaps you could responded a sweet voice at his side but would it love you back again think you there would be no return for your investment of affection here in this heartless thing this mere frame you should turn your attention to something worthy of your love where for a small outlay of affection a tenfold return would be made you in domestic joy alas said the old bachelor where shall i find this but the beautiful eyes that met his proved how easily the question might be answered and with a melancholy step he passed along he was more a bachelor from habit than from choice after all introducing the water bless me exclaimed mrs partington coming in out of breath and dropping down into a chair like a jolly old kedge anchor at the same time fanning herself with an imaginary fan she did not say bless me because she was in want of any particular blessing at that time it was merely an ejaculation of hers expressive of deep emotion bless me said she i don't see why the water commissionaries were so much worried and fretted about introducing the coquituant water for i think it is the easiest thing in the world to get acquainted with look at that bonnet now holding up the antiquated but well-preserved bit of crape dripping with water drops like the umbrella of aquarius look at that bonnet now ruined to all tents and porpoises by the pesky waterworks introduce it indeed continued she ironically looking severely at the wrecked article in her hand tain't no use of introducing an acquaintance that makes so free with you at first sight she arose to hang up her bonnet when ike who was hanging upon the back of her chair fell heavily against the window and thrust the rear portion of his person through four panes of glass oh isaac said she you'll be the ruination of me if i was rich as cressote i couldn't stand it isaac gathered himself from among the fragments of glass and seemed quite tickled with an idea that he could sell the pieces in conjunction with a reserve of old iron and half of the clothesline and three junk bottles to raise funds for the fourth of july rather funny old roger was standing in state street and saw an irishman rolling a keg of specie from his cart to the institution for which it was intended there said the old fellow to the foreign gentleman who was standing by him there you see the benefit of our free institutions there is a man who came to this country six months ago as poor as poor could be and now you see he is actually rolling in riches he said this and turned round very red in the face and struck his cane several times violently on the sidewalk and waited for his friend to explode hearing no sound of cachination he turned and found the gentleman vainly endeavouring to decipher the emblems on the merchant's exchange he evidently hadn't understood the joke on one string the prayer of moses executed on one string said mrs partington praying i suppose to be cut down poor moses sighed she executed on one string why well, i don't know as ever if i heard of anybody's been executed on two strings unless the rope broke and she went on wondering how it could be seeking the light i declare i don't know what to think on it said mrs partington as she looked intently into the water pail the attitude was peculiar and the iron-bowed specks were on duty like a sentry on a bridge keeping a bright lookout over the water i can't see into it this was wrong if we take it literally because the water was as pure and transparent as her own benevolence 
I can't see into it, and the more I preponderate upon it, the more I'm in a bewilderness. How Mr. Payne can make light of water is more than I can see. I can't throw no light on it. I think it's made of some sort of gin. My poor Paul's head used to be made light by gin and water, but it didn't burn as they say this well. Her listeners stood hatless, almost breathless, as her voice came up through her cap border, like the steam from around the cover of a wash boiler, while Ike put the experiment to a practical test by pouring a dipper of water into the stove. Judging virtue by its smell. It smells virtuous, said Mrs. Partington as she smelt of the heart-shorn bottle that had long lain in an old-fashioned high closet, before which the old lady stood on a tall chair exploring the dark interior of the receptacle for unconsidered trifles it smells virtuous we had often heard of the peculiar odor of goodness that rises like frankincense amid an atmosphere of vice and here was a practical application that attested the justness of the term it was sublime and the figure standing there on the high chair like truth on a pedestal with the specks and the close cap and the blue yarn stockings formed a subject for a sculptor poorer than which had immortalized hundreds abuses of the press the printing press is a great steam engine said mrs partington but i don't believe dr franklin ever invented it to commit outrages on a poor female woman like me it makes me set everything mrs slat and some of the things i know must have been said when i was out for i can't remember em and she dropped three stitches in her excitement they ought to know continued she that them who make sport of the agent don't never live to grow up mouse hunting an incident in the life of mrs partington it was midnight deep and still in the mansion of mrs partington as it was very generally about town on a cold night in march so profound was the silence that it awakened mrs p and she raised herself upon her elbow to listen no sound greeted her ears save the tick of the old wooden clock in the next room which stood there in the dark like an old crone whispering and gibbering to itself Mrs. Partington relapsed beneath the folds of the blankets, and had one eye again well coaxed towards the realm of dreams, while the other was holding by a very frail tenure upon the world of reality, when her ear was saluted by the nibble of a mouse directly beneath her chamber window, and the mouse was evidently gnawing her chamber carpet. Now, if there is an animal in the catalogue of creation that she dreads and detests, it is a mouse, and she has a vague and indefinite idea that rats and mice were made with a special regard for her individual torment. As she heard the sound of the nibble by the window, she arose again upon her elbow and cried, Shoo! Shoo! energetically several times. The sound ceased, and she fondly fancied that her trouble was over. Again she laid herself away as carefully as she would have lain eggs at forty-five cents a dozen, when, nibble, nibble, nibble. She once more heard the odious sound by the window, shoo cried the old lady again at the same time hurling her shoe at the spot from whence the sound proceeded where the little midnight marauder was carrying on his depredations a light burned upon the hearth she couldn't sleep without a light and she strained her eyes in vain to catch a glimpse of her tormentor playing about amid the shadows of the room all again was silent and the clock giving an admonitory tremble struck twelve midnight and mrs partington counted the tintinnabulous knots as they ran off the reel of time with a saddened heart nibble 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 again that sound the old lady sighed as she hurled the other shoe at her invisible annoyance it was all without avail and the shoeing was bootless for the sound came again to her wakeful ear 
at this point her patience gave out and conquering her dread of the cold she arose and opened the door of her room that led to a corridor when taking the light in one hand and a shoe in the other she made the circuit of the room and explored every nook and cranny in which a mouse could ensconce himself she looked under the bed and under the old chest of drawers and under the washstand and shooed until she could shoo no more the reader's own imagination if he has an imagination skilled in limney must draw the picture of the old lady while upon this exploring expedition accounted as she was in search of the ridiculous mouse we have our own opinion upon the subject and must say with all due deference to the years and virtues of mrs p and with all regard for personal attractions very striking in one of her years we should judge that she cut a very queer figure indeed satisfying herself that the mouse must have left the room she closed the door deposited the light upon the hearth and again sought repose how gratefully a warm bed feels when exposure to the night air has chilled us as we crawl to its enfolding coverlet! how we nestle down like an infant by its mother's breast and own no joy superior to that we feel coveting no regal luxury while reveling in the elysium of feathers so felt mrs p as she again ensconced herself in bed the clock in the next room struck one she was again near the attainment of the state when dreams are rife when close by her chamber door outside she heard that hateful nibble renewed which had marred her peace before with a groan she arose and seizing her lamp she opened the door and had the satisfaction to hear the mouse drop step by step until he reached the floor below convinced that she was now rid of him for the night she returned to bed and addressed herself to sleep the room grew dim in the weariness of her spirit the chest of drawers in the corner was fast losing its identity and becoming something else in a moment more nibble 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 again outside of the chamber door as the clock in the next room struck two anger disappointment desperation fired her mind with a new determination once more she arose but this time she put on a shoe her dexter shoe ominous movement it is said that when a woman wets her finger fleas had better fly the star of that mouse's destiny was setting was now near the horizon she opened the door quickly and as she listened a moment she heard him drop again from stair to stair on a speedy passage down the entry below was closely secured and no door was open to admit of his escape this she knew and a triumphant gleam shot athwart her features revealed by the rays of the lamp she went slowly down the stairs until she arrived at the floor below where snugly in a corner with his little bead-like black eyes looking up at her roguishly was the gnar of her carpet and the annoyer of her comfort she moved towards him and he not coveting the closer acquaintance darted by her she pursued him to the other end of the entry and again he passed by her again and again she pursued him with no better success at last when in most doubt as to which side would conquer fortune perched upon the banister turned the scale in favour of mrs p the mouse in an attempt to run by her presumed too much upon former success he came too near her upraised foot it fell upon his muscipular beauties like an avalanche of snow upon a new tile and he was dead for ever mrs partington gazed upon him as he lay before her though she was glad at the result she could but sigh at the necessity which impelled the violence but for which the mouse might have long continued a blessing to society in which he moved slowly and sadly she marched upstairs with her shoe all sullied and gory and the watch who saw it through the front door squares told us this part of the story 
that mouse did not trouble mrs partington again that night and the old clock in the next room struck three before sleep again visited the eyelids of the relic of corporal paul end of section thirteen